0: So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money, episode 1454, the best of So Money 2022, money and mental health.
1: You're listening
2: to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a
0: 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life. Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi, continuing our coverage of some of my favorite episodes of the year around certain themes. On Monday, we covered racial equity, and today we're gonna talk about money and mental health, which in many ways was the drumbeat of So Money in 2022. We couldn't help but get into the emotions of our finances. It was a tough year coming off of previously tough years, but 2022 had its own incredibly high anxiety, inflation, unemployment, worries about a recession, If you continued to work, maybe you had more responsibilities with a shrunken down team. You know, I was in the throes of finishing my book, which is all about the power of fear. And so I was living in this world of money and fear for basically all year. And some of the conversations I was having on this podcast found themselves on the pages of that book, which is coming out in the fall, A Healthy State of Panic, stay tuned, but so many lessons for all of us. And in this episode, we're going to hear from Kate Donovan, who was a burnout expert Dr. Ellen Vora, who is the author of a fabulous new book on anxiety, and guests Katie Gaddy and Ellie Jobe, who each have their own unique stories about how fear drove them to make really important, pivotal financial decisions. They love fear, as do I. First though, Kate Donovan joined in episode 1388 this year. She's an expert, as I said, on burnout, and she's the host of Fried, the burnout podcast. She also has a book called The Bounce Back Ability Factor. We talked about how to actually identify burnout, you know, what what is happening in our bodies and our minds, because the symptoms of burnout may be difficult to identify. And in this excerpt, Kate talks about why we can't fool ourselves into thinking that we can just recover by quiet quitting our jobs or even quitting our jobs. But we need to eliminate burnout by what she calls pruning our lives.
2: So the first thing is when we're talking about defining burnout from a legal standpoint, I will give you the World Health Organization definition because that is the one that the United States is going with at the moment, and that includes three components. The first component is physical and mental exhaustion, physical and emotional exhaustion. The second one is cynicism and detachment. Mm -hmm. And the third one is a lack of productivity or a lack of feeling like your work is impactful, even if you are getting it done. Mm -hmm. So there's these three components, and that's what the World Health Organization has said is burnout. And they're not saying that it's a disease. They're calling it an occupational hazard, which is hysterical because you can get burnt out for so many reasons. And I think they are they are trying their damnedest to ensure that there's some difference between burnout and depression, because we don't really know what the difference is very well at this moment. There are some biomarkers, some indicators with cortisol measures that the, the profiles of how cortisol is functioning in your body during burnout and depression are different. But I don't think they know enough about depression either, to be honest. So we're kind of in this no man's land, like is burnout a thing? Is burnout not a thing? For now, we're going to call it this. It shows up in your life. With that physical and mental exhaustion, which I always tell people is like, if you are a person who typically exercised and that gave you some energy at the beginning or at the end of your day, like you, you finish your workout and you're like, oh, thank God I did that. When you're burnt out, you do that same workout and you like pass out on the floor immediately after. Like you, you have zero ability to recover. And every time you use energy, it like empties you out completely. Hmm. And on the emotional side, it's just having a really short fuse. It's just anything that happens, that one more thing gets added to your to-do list or that one extra email comes in and you lose it.
0: That's literally every working parent in the pandemic,
2: I think. Amen. Was anyone spared? (laughs) I don't really think so, to be honest. I think because a lot of burnt out is based in a lack of um, justice, feeling that things are unjust, feeling that things are unfair, feeling like you're giving more than you're getting. The burnout made us the, the burnout. The pandemic made us ripe for burnout. All Mm -hmm. of us, parent or not, because everything got thrown up in the air. Everything was uncertain. Every single day required something different. And you're trying and you're trying and you're trying and and you can't get on top of it because your kid's teacher is in today, out tomorrow, online today, in school tomorrow. uh, And you can't get anywhere. You can't get there from here. Mm. Right. So. So
0: here we are. And while the pandemic is in a new phase and i would say it's it's waning we have other constraints we have this recession potentially whatever we can say technically it is or is it just like burnout you can say technically if you, yeah. if you're feeling the pain you're feeling the pain and if you are someone who's recently laid off or you uh, went from dual income to single income because of a job loss in your family you're looking at all of the prices there's always something going on that can contribute to burnout and from your experience, you've talked to so many experts on your show and you yourself, have, I assume, have gone through some of these motions and have come on the other side of it. What's the most effective way to address it? Is it? I have a colleague, for example, who is literally taking a leave of absence to address uh, his health. I, I applaud him for doing that. And I, I said to him, you know, this isn't modeled enough in the workplace. And I, I really hope that this is I'm not going to be just great for you, but but really an example for everybody. And we'll follow in those footsteps. Hopefully we won't have to get to that point, but it's great to know that there is that allowance. What do you say? Is it like you just have to make a complete 180 shift? Can you take baby steps? I don't believe in taking
2: a complete 180 shift when you're burnt out because it's hard enough as it is just to survive on a daily basis and making that much change often leaves you on this sort of adrenaline rush that you've been on with nothing to do. And if you don't have some sort of plan for that time and you don't know how to rest because you never really learned and you've been on for the past 20 years, you end up spinning out. Mm -hmm. So, I do love a leave of absence and people who are privileged enough to be able to take one should take one if at all possible and also create some sort of plan because just laying around, uh, resting is important. And also you might not really be resting. Yeah. Like if you're resting, but you're watching Netflix on a normal, if you're in a normal state that can be restful. But if you're in a burnt out state, that's not restful. One of the things that people notice during burnout is, for instance, they get really sensitive to music. Like normally music would help calm them down or pump them up and they can't even stand to listen to it. Or they're watching TV and they're overly involved in the emotions of what's happening on TV. So it's not actually getting any rest, it's not giving them any rest because they're going to bed like and dreaming about the characters and concerned about the characters (laughs) in the TV show because their emotions are so wound up that they can't let it go. So depending on where someone is, really kind of exactly what's going on and what the possibilities are, small steps are the way to go. Which small steps will vary from person to person? The first step for me is what we call life pruning. Mm -hmm. So we look around and say, what can we take away here? What's happening in your life? What responsibilities are you holding on to that are not actually helping anybody? Because I promise you, there's a few of those. (laughs) People don't like that. They're like, but everything I do is so important. I'm like, I promise you 10% of the things you do, if you stop doing them today, no one would ever even
3: notice. Right, right.
0: Right. So let's life prune. Let's get rid of all of that stuff. That was Kate Donovan, episode 1388. Next up, here's my discussion with Dr. Ellen Vora, episode 1321. Ellen Vora is the author of one of my favorite books this year, The Anatomy of Anxiety Understanding and Overcoming the Body's Fear Response. Ellen broke down the sources of our financial fears and even provided specific advice for those of us who may feel anxiety over what to do next with our money, with our careers, and, you know, we may be feeling a little bit pressure from family.
3: If we really distill anxiety down to its most primary building blocks, it is part of our hard wiring, and it kind of pertains to the idea of being vigilant, being on the lookout for threat, and being prepared. Um, and I think that you know, on the proverbial savanna of evolution, being prepared had more to do with foraging for food and building your nest. And these days, it has a lot to do with your four hundred one k and making sure that you have a good income squared away and you're saving money. And I think that it's sort of it's directly connected to anxiety. I find that we are living in this culture that communicates to us around every corner that we are not enough, um, and that you know, and and oftentimes the solution presented to us is you're not enough, you're broken, Um, look out, there's danger ahead, therefore buy my product, and so in a way it's it's preying on our need to feel prepared, but then it actually is presenting us with a solution that's almost exactly exacerbating the original problem, which is, you know, do we have enough stored away to feel okay? And so I think that there's so much tied up in anxiety and money. I see it in my patients. And I think that sometimes we have to step out of the systems that we've come of age in and really question our own priorities. I see this with a lot of my patients. I have a lot of patients who are children of immigrants. And the messaging they got in childhood was very much of scarcity and that the number one priority is um, secure a good job, um, work as hard as you possibly can, make sure that you have good savings. And it's really understandable that if you're starting from nothing, and if you're full of uncertainties and starting fresh in a new country, that should be the number one priority. And then I have these patients who are the children of these parents. and because of their parents' prioritization of money and earning, and because of their parents' really hard work and sacrifices, they're actually in a really different state when it comes to scarcity and abundance. They have a certain degree of savings or flexibility, and now they're living according to those priorities, but it's no longer appropriate, and they're miserable. And in certain ways, I'm here to even encourage them, like... What are your priorities? How do you want to design your life? What is not just maximizing for money, but maximizing for overall well being and fulfillment? And it's a far more complicated distribution of priorities for most
0: mm-hmm. of us. As that immigrant daughter that you just described, I think part of what keeps us back too is this fear of disappointing our our family, um, not living up to their expectations. I get listeners writing in too, you know, um, vividly. I remember one listener wrote in and said, I work for a big tech company. I'm 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 the son of Chinese immigrants in America. You know, they work so hard so that I could become successful. I went to college, I work in tech, I make a good salary. They're proud of me. I work for Google. They can tell all their friends. They, they have a son who works at Google. And he's like, I actually want to start a barbershop. Mm-hmm. And explaining this to my mother, especially, nails on a chalkboard. Uh-huh. And she does not want to hear this. And he's less afraid about the financial journey that this will take him on. He felt secure in being able to do this responsibly. He had savings. He had a business plan it was really more the fear of coming home at the holidays or having to deal with you know the the disappointment and so when your anxiety is sourced from some other people's fears of what it means to live a right life like how do you reconcile that especially when it's your family Oh, it's so tough.
3: I think it always starts with understanding, understand where the parents are coming from. They did not have the privilege or the leeway to seek fulfillment. They were seeking security. They wanted to make sure you were safe, you could survive, you could pay the bills, you could feed your family and keep a roof over your heads. And then, like that can help you secure a good job or a good education and therefore a good job and continue with that security. And at a certain point, if you're lucky enough to have established good education, good job security, you actually have freed up this ability to be seeking fulfillment. And I think often what we have to do is in these difficult relationships, we have to be true to ourselves, even when it disappoints others, but we just always have to be discerning. Am I truly doing something hurtful here? Or am I doing something right that they can't understand? And I think that, you know, at the very end of the day, it's all love. The parents love their children. That's what it comes from. And there's just a disconnect when for me to you know, what you really want for me is my well-being, And what that looked like a generation ago was survival and what that looks like this generation is fulfillment. And so I think to know like I'm doing the right thing by pursuing fulfillment, it's going to disappoint people, but I know that I'm not doing anything wrong here. Mm-hmm. And you can communicate your love and your appreciation and your gratitude and your honor to your parents and all these other ways, which can sometimes fulfill their need for what they were looking for in the form of your fancy job.
0: That was Dr. Ellen Vora, episode 1321. Her book, again, highly recommend, is called The Anatomy of Anxiety. Next, how can fear be a healthy stimulus to becoming more financially independent and secure? Well, these next two conversations are all about that. First, Katie Gotti came on the show. She is the personality behind the blog, podcast, and newsletter brand, Money with Katie. She started writing about money in 2020 after a few years of independent personal finance consulting, And since then, Money with Katie has grown to a community nearly 100,000 strong. She focuses on teaching hashtag rich girls how to make their money work for them. And in this excerpt, we talk about how fear actually anchors Katie's financial determination.
4: So I think what grounds me is fear, if I'm being honest, like it is truly that neuroticism and that kind of like Fear of insecurity, if you will. So, kind of like we were mentioning before, with like the Nordic theory of everything. We're, here in the United States, uh, you're one major medical emergency away from potentially bankrupting yourself. So that's kind of terrifying. And I think that that when you uh, when you're just aware of maybe how precarious. Things really can become, and how quickly. um, I think that always is is kind of a grounding force for me in remembering that. Like, I sound like my grandma, but like you don't want to get too big for your britches. You don't want to overshoot, kind of, and and end up in a place where you're out over your skis. So, I think from a goal standpoint, our goal is to be completely work optional. Like, could walk away from income producing work by the time we're thirty. So that's like three years away for me and two years away for my husband. And I think it just comes down to providing ourselves that optionality. like If I want to be a stay-at-home mom, or he wants to be a stay-at-home dad, or for some reason, one of our parents gets sick and we want to move closer to be with them and be able to take care Like There's just so many unknowns in life. And I think I anticipate that being in a position financially where we could leave work if we wanted to for some period of time would give me a lot of comfort and security and confidence to make the decisions that I
0: actually want to be making and not making decisions based on needing an income. I smiled when you said that fear is what anchors you. I am the same way. And I don't think that how we look at life is... How everyone looks at life. I think that maybe. I mean, for me, I know it was because how I was raised. Mm-hmm. My parents saved the crap out of me. Same. And I think being a financial podcaster and writer, the underpinning of all of our questions, a degree of it is fear. Yeah. And so I, sure. I, I, I always say like I'm. I work with fear every day, and mm-hmm. so I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of fear. I'm not fearless. I'm just not afraid of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you arrive at this place where you had this intelligence and this healthy relationship with fear because I, I would say it's healthy you're looking I mean a lot of people mm-hmm. could be scared and and would instead live like someone could be just as worried about the uncertainties of life as you've just beautifully described you know <laughs> like the the fears that are real yeah. sometimes. And it would turn them into absolute frugal monsters because their fear led them to like a dark place. Hmm. But for you, your fear has almost led you to this place of, I think really, uh, I mean, your wallpaper is beautiful right behind <laughs> you. Target 34.99. Nine. You know, I don't want to assume, but like, it looks like life is treating you well. So tell oh, me you. like- Yeah. Tell me what drove you to having this long story, long question short. How did you get to have this like kind of healthy relationship with fear?
4: That is such a a beautiful question. And I really appreciate you saying that. I think because at first my reaction was the overcorrection to become super frugal, like not going out to restaurants ever and trying to like nickel and dime myself at the grocery store. And You know, living with roommates in buildings that weren't very nice. Like, I think my first reaction kind of was to cut back as much as possible. But then I think what really shifted for me, if I'm being honest, is I started to do work that I felt very aligned to and noticed that money really did come way more easily. So, like, prior, I would be working really hard in a job that maybe wasn't as wasn't as fulfilling or wasn't as... Didn't come as natural to me. It was something that I had to work a little bit harder at, think a little bit harder, strive a little bit more. And it wasn't necessarily in alignment with what I think I was like put not to be super woo-woo, but like put here to do. And so I think when I noticed like, oh, well in order to earn money, I need to be struggling. Like I have to feel this level of struggle. I think when, when that kind of perception shifted of like, oh, well, when I'm doing the work that I'm in alignment with and I'm doing the things that are like super flow state for me, the money just comes and it comes way more easily. And there's way more of it. That was a key shift. And in the beginning, I kind of struggled with it because I was like... Man, I um I feel like I'm not working hard enough to be earning this much. Like right? I feel like I'm not struggling enough to be earning as much as I mm-hmm. am. I think, uh, once I got over that and kind of realized, no, 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 that's how it's supposed to feel. Like if it feels easy and good, it's like, you're going to be able to do way more. You're going to be able to do your best work. Um, that's when you're really going to shine. And that's when the money is going to be the easiest to, you know, to come by. So I think that was probably the the shift, um, that, that kind of helped me rewire my relationship with this kind of, uh, fear-based or like neurotic approach to life of like, let me just steal myself and insulate myself from all the potential bad things that can happen to me by like building up this fortress of, of investment accounts around me. Uh, but I think I think that was probably where the shift happened.
0: To revisit this conversation with Katie, check out episode 1321. We also, in that same conversation, talked about Katie's ambitions to be work optional by 30 years old, how she and her husband managed to live on just 16%, one-sixth of their take-home pay to achieve that goal. Now, fellow financial educator, Ellie Jope, also came on the show this year, shared her own story of how fear carried her and her family to the next right move, episode 1425. Now, after being laid off from her job in the pandemic, Ellie used her $1,200 stimulus check and her years of experience in sales and marketing and leadership To start a business and in less than a year she had scaled that company to multiple seven figures did this while reeling from a divorce and launched this business while living with her kids in her mom's one bedroom house what got her over the hump she credits fear you are a a leader an example in how you can be financially independent while caring after your kids and then later I want to talk about how you're bringing good kids into the business I love it but how was being a mom a motivator for you
1: yeah you know what it was it was definitely the biggest motivator i remember having moments you know at the time at my mom's house we were all sharing one room, essentially. So the the living room, so to speak, at my mom's house was our room. So my bed is in the corner, the twins' cribs are here. And then the older kids, um, my eight-year-old and five-year-old now, were kind of on the other side. And so I remembered, you know, just putting them all to bed and then just looking at the room, looking at them. And I was crying. And that was really in that moment where you know, we all have these fears, fear to start our business, fear to do something we've never done. And I was so afraid to start. But in that moment, I became more afraid of being in that situation for another year, another two years, like that was more scary to me. And it was really that night that I started that list. I'm like, you know what, as scary as it is to go out and try to start this business, I'm this young, you know, single mother in Inglewood, California it's more scary for me to see all my kids in one room and to think about still being here two years from now, three years from now. So that really became like, if there's anyone I'm gonna show up for, it's these kids. So I, so they can see me and see what is possible in life.
0: And that is an example of how fear was your savior. Yes. You listened to that fear and you, you went from a fear that you know you couldn't control to a fear that you could. Exactly. And that's a wrap. I dedicate a whole chapter to financial fear in my forthcoming book. I cover nine different fears in A Healthy State of Panic. The central fear in the book is money and how... Fear has been a catalyst and can be for you to making some of the best money decisions yet. That's our show for today, though. Join me on Friday for one of my favorite Ask Farnouches of 2022. You'll have to tune in to find out which one. And until then, I hope your day is so money.